Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. So I want to talk today a little bit about the topic of love. And um, this is something that has become huge for me um, as I've continued to study it in Scripture, as I've seen what is happening in the world today, um, where the world is going, how the church is viewed. Now I'm, I'm starting my own church and, 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 and going out and, and doing this where I have been on staff at another church and just thinking about what, what, what do we want this to look like? Chad and I have these conversations over and over. What do we want this to look like for our church? And so we're in Austin now. It's a different environment than, than we left. And, and so we're learning what that might look like. Um, I'm doing my best to keep Austin weird. I got there and this beard just sprouted out of my face and uh, I tried to trim it, but the beard now tells me what to do and it won't let me do it. And so that's why it looks like an accident. That's why it looks like I was stranded on an island right before I showed up here today. That's the problem. It's that the, the beard tells me what to do. But um, we love Austin. We're, we're, we're plugging in, we're finding all of these things and, and we're realizing that the primary thing that we want to accomplish as a church is to love people, especially in an age where the church is viewed as being uh, more about what they are against than who they are for, more about what we are opposed to. And, and so the church is known in this way. And now more than ever with the things that are going on in the world and the need that is there with refugees, with different things that are going on right now, uh, the church needs to show that we're all about love. And I believe that the Bible is a love story. I believe that there's a theme of love, God's love towards us, but also our act of love that we are supposed to give to others. I believe that is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible. I believe the Bible is this powerful love story that, that points us in a direction that tells us that we have a, we have a job here on earth. We have a mission. We have a calling right here on earth. We have something that we're supposed to be accomplishing right here on earth. And, and, and I think one of the most damaging theologies that has ever been taught in church is to say, don't worry, the world is evil. It's terrible. It's all going to burn anyways. So just sit around and wait for the time that you get taken out of this place. You get to go to heaven. You get to return to that perfect place. And don't worry about this place. It's okay. It's all going to burn anyways. And that's one of the most damaging theologies that we could ever teach. Because the truth is that Right from the very beginning, even all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve, they, they were in this idyllic, perfect garden. And what was perfect about it was that they were having communion with God. But you got to realize that even they had a job that they had to accomplish here on earth. God set them here in this place and said, here, I've given you this creation. Now you make your world look like mine. You, you take this place and steward it. You name the animals. You work and cultivate the ground. You do what it takes to make your place look like mine. And so right from the beginning, Adam and Eve had a job. And if we think that this earth is just a, a waiting room for us to go on to heaven, we're missing the purpose of what God has called us to accomplish here, right here in this earth. He's given us a mission. He's given us a task. And we can do this. We can accomplish these things. And so I want to go through sort of three phases that you typically see in Scripture. It's the exile, the blood sacrifice, and the mission. These are three phases that you see throughout Scripture. 
And I've kind of chosen these Old Testament um, words like the exile and the blood sacrifice because I want us to track this all the way back to the very beginning, that it starts right there in the very beginning. And so I want us to be able to follow this progression. And, and what I really need for us to do as we talk about this, I'm going to talk about what, what the works are that we are called to accomplish here on earth. And anytime we start talking about works, the temptation is to connect that then back to salvation. We go, no, 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 wait, we don't earn our salvation. And so we don't talk about works at all. We're not supposed to talk about that. Our salvation comes by grace. Yes, all of that is true. But the truth is after salvation, you then step into the calling that God has on your life. And that requires that we do something. Love is always connected to an act of love. It isn't enough to just say that you love your spouse. You have to show that love as well. And so we, we need to, as we go through this, all of these themes, obviously the exile, the blood sacrifice, all these things can be connected back to salvation. But I need for a moment for us to, to put that aside for a moment. It applies to salvation, but there's something else that we were called to do. We need to remember that salvation, belief is for our salvation, but our works are for our witness. Uh, by our salvation, by our belief, we, we obtain this salvation. But our works, that's how we witness to people. Our works are how we show the world who God is and who God is through us. And so as we do this, let's separate salvation for a moment and talk about as saints now, what are we called to do in this place? And so the first phase that I told you about that we want to look at is the exile. The exile, we probably immediately think back to uh, Genesis or to Exodus and Moses and the Israelites. And we think back to the, the Israelites um, being set free, the, the Passover feast that was then celebrated. The Passover is intimately connected to the exile. The exile is uh, this place that, that we all find ourselves in many times. The exile is, is being outside of the place that we want to be or experiencing some form of separation, some form of separation from God in our lives. And, and what we primarily need to realize, I won't spend very much time on the topic of exile, but exile, what we primarily need to, need to realize is that we are all in exile at certain points in our lives. We all experience exile. And so as you think of exile, and maybe you connect it to the Israelites or, or the story of Moses and Exodus, there's actually the story of exile begins long before that. I want to show you a, a scripture about this. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, starting right from the very beginning of time. It says, so the Lord God, this is after Adam and Eve have sinned. The Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden. And so we know the story, Adam and Eve ate of the, the tree that they, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they were then banished from the garden. That was the very first exile. That was the very first time of, of exile. And that exile still affects us to this day. We, we long to be back in the garden, back in that perfect place. If we could just get back to the garden, everything would be perfect. We wouldn't have to deal with pain and suffering anymore. And we lose sight of the fact that God called us to be a ministry through the pain and the suffering of this earth. But if we could just only get back to that place where we wouldn't have to deal with these things anymore. That was the first exile and it has affected us many times since then. The Jewish people would have known even when they were in exile and even when God brought them through the exile that they were experiencing a form of exile in the exact same way that Adam and Eve experienced it. So we've been longing then to get back to this perfect place. 
we could get back to the garden, everything would be perfect. And that attributes to this idea that let's leave this dirty, rotten, stinking world and get to heaven so we can be back in the garden. We're losing the, the mission, the calling that we have here on earth. Exile is all through scripture. Adam and Eve were in exile after the fall. The Israelites were in exile when they were in slavery to the Egyptians. Jonah was in exile when he was in the belly of the whale as a consequence of his disobedience. The people who were building the Tower of Babel were in exile. After trying to build a tower all the way to heaven, Joseph was in exile when his brother sold him into slavery and faked his death. David was in exile when he was hiding from Saul who sought to kill him. In the, in the New Testament, we see Paul in exile when he's sitting in prison. We see even Christ being in a form of exile when he's hanging from the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are all in moments of exile. And what we need to understand is if we don't think of ourselves as being in some form of exile in different times in our lives, then, one, then we won't admit that what we really need is the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. So first, let's just accept that we have been in exile, that, that this place, this, this place where we're longing to get back into the garden is a place of exile. We live in exile and there's only one way to get out of exile and that's the blood sacrifice. So the second phase that we see all through scripture is the blood sacrifice. The sacrifice is important. It's the only way to get you out of exile. It's really the only way that love can be expressed or communicated. Love always requires some form of sacrifice. I'm always shocked and, and fascinated by the times that I'm doing marital counseling and someone says, well, I really love her, but you know, I, I just, I want to continue to do what, what I want to do. It's like, do you realize that there is no love without sacrifice? There's no way that Jesus could even express his love for us unless sacrifice was involved in this. There, love always requires a sacrifice. And so the blood sacrifice is all about that. Jesus's crucifixion was the blood sacrifice that atones for us. It is uh, obviously connected to salvation, but it tells us so much more. In fact, the Bible says that, that Jesus' uh, death and resurrection coincided with the Passover feast. And so the Passover feast, you know, is uh, a ceremony, a feast that the Jewish people would, would keep. And it commemorated the time that they were in bondage and in slavery and Jesus took them out of slavery and set them free. That's what the Passover feast celebrates. In fact, I wanna show you a, a scripture quickly of uh, what Moses said about the, the uh, Passover. Exodus chapter 13, verse three says, so Moses said to the people, this is a day to remember forever. The day you left Egypt, the place of your slavery. Today, the Lord has brought you out by the power of his mighty hand. That's what Passover celebrates. So Passover, yes, is connected to the forgiveness of sins and became over time then connected to the forgiveness of sins. But primarily Passover, the reason that the Jewish people would celebrate Passover was to celebrate that they were in bondage, they were in slavery and Christ set them free so that they could call this a new day and continue to work out the gospel in this world, continue to work out the mission of God in this world. That was what the Passover celebration celebrated. You see, automatically we just connect the, the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection back to salvation. And it's absolutely uh, intertwined in every way connected to salvation. But the Passover feast wasn't necessarily all about the atonement of sins. There was a separate uh, day for that. 
There was a separate day for the atonement of sins, and, and Jesus was the Passover lamb. It says in Scripture that Jesus was the Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. It's calling us to celebrate something new, to step out into something new, not, not, not so just simply so the world could end. If the only purpose of, of Jesus' death and resurrection, if the only purpose was to get us into heaven, why didn't the world end right there in that moment? You see, Jesus then came up out of the grave and said, now I, I'm, I'm giving you a calling. I'm giving you a mission. Here's the great commission. Here's what I want you to accomplish. I'm calling you into this. I'm asking that you go out and do this and make a difference. The, the, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection of Christ is intimately connected with the Passover. And in being connected to the Passover, it says what we ought to be celebrating in this moment is that we were in slavery and in bondage and we are now set free to minister the gospel of reconciliation all over the world. This is what we've been set free into. We've been called into this place so that we can do this. So the death and resurrection of Jesus is intimately connected with Passover, but it's connected with something else too. I told you we've been longing to get back into the garden. We've been desiring to get back to that, that perfect place. And if we could just get back to that place. So let me just hit some of the highlights that happened in creation. In creation, Genesis uh, starts with in the beginning. In the beginning, meaning that there's a moment in time where something started, something brand new began right here in this moment in time. And so in the beginning, and then the, the first few days, God is creating this world so that we have this place to live in. And that goes through day two and three and four and five. And then you get to day six. And uh, that day six is the day that God creates man. And then the Bible says that he puts his image into man. This is a mystery that's very difficult to understand, but you, you have man created here on earth and God places his image into that man. That happens on the sixth day. At the end of the sixth day, God says, it is finished. It's good. It's good what I did. It is finished. And on the seventh day, God rested. On the, 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 then the, the next day, the eighth day would technically be the first day of the week. That first day of the week would be when, when man would step into his calling, when Adam and Eve would begin to do the work that God had called them to do, to live in this life and to commune with God and nature and those around them. That would be the, the first day of a brand new creation. So let's then remember those highlights of, of that and then think back to the story of the crucifixion, remembering that John gives us a very uh, thorough account of Jesus' death and resurrection. And John begins chapter one of John by saying, in the beginning, a nod to creation. In the beginning, in the beginning, this is how it started. And John goes through and he explains these things and then he gets to the story of Jesus' death and, and, and resurrection and he explains this and he says that it was the sixth day of the week. Remember in the sixth day of creation, that's when God creates man and, and, and puts his image into him. It's the sixth day of the week that Pontius Pilate presents Jesus in front of the crowd and says, here is the man who also claims to be God. In other words, here is the man who is merely a man, but yet has God's image in him. And that was the primary accusation against Jesus is that he claimed to be God. And so here on the sixth day, John tells us very specifically and clearly that it happened on the sixth day that Pontius Pilate presents him 
Here's a man who also claims to be God, a man who has God's image in him, who is all the way human and all the way divine. That happened on the sixth day. It's at the end of the sixth day that Jesus was crucified. It was at the end of the sixth day that God said, it is finished when he finished creation. And it was at the end of the sixth day when Jesus is hanging from the cross that he says, it is finished. It was the seventh day in creation that God rested and it was the seventh day that Jesus was laid to rest in the tomb. For the entire seventh day, then he's in the tomb. And then on the eighth day, which would be the first day of the week is when Jesus resurrects. He comes up to a new creation, a new world. He, he, we, would, we had given uh, we had given over the, the right to rule this world to Satan when Adam and Eve fell. And so Satan was the ruler of the world and, and Jesus descended down into the depths of hell, took back the keys to the world. And so when he comes up, it's a brand new creation. It's the first day of the week, just like it would have been in creation, the very first day of the week, the very first day of brand new possibilities, the first day of us being put back into the garden to do the work of God. And who does Mary think that Jesus is when she sees him on that day? He's a gardener. He's a gardener on that day. John is giving us a nod back to creation saying, don't forget This place that you've been longing to get back into, the place that you've been dying to get back to that place where you could be in God's will and it could be perfect and you could commune with God and you could live with him and you could have an impact in this world. You could make your world look like his. Don't forget that happened. We're not sitting around and waiting for that part of of this to happen. That has happened. God is the gardener. He has taken back the world and he has asked you to work the ministry of reconciliation in this world. It's a brand new day. This is a brand new creation. Obviously, we still deal with the effects of the fall. Obviously, we still sin and experience these these things, but God has taken back the garden. He's taken back the garden and he's placed it back in our control and said, you now, you now have a chance to make your world look like mine, to bring heaven to earth. That's what happens in the blood sacrifice. Now God calls us to a mission, which is the third phase that we see that happens so often over and over in scripture. The mission is Christ calling us into mission. Christ asking us to accomplish something here on earth. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, this is where he sums up the greatest mission that you could possibly have. It says, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now this is a fascinating scripture. This is Jesus's ask of us. This is the most important thing that you could be doing would be to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and just like it on an equal level would be to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the the person who was asking this was a Pharisee, someone who was very well trained in scripture, knew every, every aspect of scripture and was testing him really. 
He was saying, let's see how smart you really are. What would be the greatest commandment? This is something that had been debated by the Jewish people. There was 365 positive laws in the Old Testament uh, and uh, 365 negative laws, 248 positive laws, the, the do nots and the do's. And so he would say, which out of all of these would be the, the greatest commandment of all? What's the most important thing that we should do? There's a given that no one will be able to do all of these things. So which one would be the greatest thing that we could possibly focus on? No one would have been surprised by Jesus' answer at first. He said, it's obviously the Shema. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is something that the Jewish people would recite every single day. But what would have absolutely shocked them is that then he says, there's also one that's just like it, though. Equal in value, just as important. And that would be that you love your neighbor as yourself. And no one. Not a single person in the crowd would have ever placed loving others at the same level as loving God. And Jesus said, this is your mission. This is your calling, that you would love others as yourself. That you would minister to them, that you would guide them, that you would lead them. This is what love really is. And so this is the mission that we've been given. This is the calling that we are called to work out. The thing that, that God desires most for us to walk out in this time. You see, um, I think many times we've beaten ourselves up over just uh, talking only about sin and, and conviction and, and we focus on these things primarily and, and, and we want to defend the gospel by calling out what is wrong and letting people know whenever they sin or they do wrong things. And Jesus is saying, primarily, what I want you to do is love. Uh, leave it to the Holy Spirit to convict. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to convict people of the sin that they are in. But primarily what I'm asking you to do is just love. Just love your neighbor. That's what I want you to do is love the people who are around you. Who's your neighbor? It's whoever is within your reach. Whoever, whoever is around you close enough for you to have an impact on them. What it might look like, it could be different in every single scenario. It might look like you know, buying a meal for someone, sitting at a table with someone that you wouldn't normally sit with. It might be helping someone who's going through a difficult time. But whoever it is that's within your reach, that's who I want you to love. And so this is now the, the mission, the calling that we have been given. And I, I, I've thought so much about this. What, what does this mean for us? And and, and we need to realize that the Bible is not the story of God rescuing us from this world. The story of the Bible is not Jesus coming down to die just so he could rescue us away from this evil world. The truth is the story of Jesus dying and resurrecting is so that he could rescue us in order that we may rescue others. That he could bring us to salvation so that we may rescue others. That he could find a people on this earth that he could choose to show his goodness to that he could show his goodness to those people so that they could show his goodness to all those around them. And so I, I've wondered then, I, I resonate very deeply with the story of Thomas. Many people call him Doubting Thomas. You remember the story that Thomas was uh, there uh, in the upper room with the other disciples and, and Jesus had already shown up to Mary and to Peter and Thomas was getting jealous. He was pouting like a little baby and he said, I really want to see Jesus. And then he stepped out of the room for just a moment and Jesus like appeared through a wall and said hey to everybody and hung out for a little while and Thomas wasn't there and he got back and he was like, what? I step out for two seconds and Jesus shows up and he gets mad about it. He's getting more and more frustrated. Thomas says, that's it. 
I will not believe unless I can see the scars in his hands and in his side. If I can just see that, if I can see the scars in his hands and in his side, then I'll believe. You know the story that Thomas eventually does see Jesus and Jesus reaches out his hand and says, look, Thomas, and Thomas sees the scars in his hand and in his side and and he collapses before Jesus, calls him my God and, and knows in that moment that he is divine, that he is truly God. So Thomas has this experience and Jesus says, this is one of the most puzzling scriptures to me. Jesus says, blessed are you because you have seen and you believe, but even more blessed will be the people who don't see and, and believe. And I thought, it's, uh, it sounds unfair to me. Like, I, I'd love that too. I'd love to be able to just say, God, if I could just see the scars, then I would believe and have you show up and let me see the scars. That, that would be really great. That would be a really wonderful thing if, if I could do that. I was meditating on this and, and trying to figure this out and wondering what it might mean for me and for others who are, are, are doubting or ex- going through difficult times and saying, Jesus, if I could just see the scars, then I would believe. Give me some form of proof that you love me. God reminded me, brought me back to this place. 11 years ago, I went to Guatemala and I was there to meet a missionary that we, we had been partnering with. And in Guatemala, there had been a civil war and there was a rebellious uprising against the government. And so what would happen is this, this rebellious group would go into different villages in Guatemala and they would say, give us food and a place to sleep or else we'll kill you. And so the village would have to give them shelter and give them food or else they would be killed. And then the government would come along and say, whichever village gives shelter to this rebellious uprising, we will then come and level the village and kill everyone there. And so people in villages were, were many were, were, were killed. There was genocide all over the country of Guatemala and many people had to leave their village and spread out into the, the mountains of Guatemala in hiding and without any food, without the support of their village, they had to go in hiding. And so after the civil war ended, the, the Guatemalan government said, we'll make this right. We'll do the right thing and we'll give you your very own land since you had to vacate the land that you were in. We'll give it to you, it, it'll be your land. So the, the Guatemalan government loaded up these people in helicopters and took them to the farthest remote stretch of mountains where there was no running water, no electricity. They dropped them there with a few tools and a few pieces of sheet metal and said, good luck with your land. And so this missionary heard about this. The people had no, no food, no structure, no system there, no running water, no electricity. And so this missionary went there. And so I said, well, I assume then that you, you witnessed to them and you told them about Jesus and you told them about the gospel and you started a church. Because when I got there and I saw that there was a church, a thriving church in this village that people were worshiping, that there were Christians all over this village. I guess you must have started this church. And he said, no, I didn't start the church. I said, well, what, what happened then? And he said, well, I knew that There was no way that I could tell them about the love of God after they had been through what they had been through. I couldn't just come along and say, Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He loves you very much. Don't forget that. And then start a church and hope that they would somehow come and and, and be converted. There's no way I could do that. And so he said, so instead, I decided to just love them. He said, I came into this village and I said, what do you need most? And they said, well, we need a school because we'll never be anything if we can't educate our children and get them an education. And then they can go back into Guatemala City and go to university. And then if they go to university, then they'll be able to come back here and and help us grow into a real city. And if they have the knowledge of growing this into a real city, then we'll be able to create a real village here for ourselves. But we'll all die off if none of our kids can get an education. 
Him and his wife were both well-educated people, so they started a school right there in the village. They said, we'll do that for you. We'll start this school. And so they did. They started a school, and they began to train the kids. And by the time that I was there, many kids had gone off to university and come back, and the, the village was beginning to gain traction, and, and, and amazing things had happened. It was the people who said, why do you do this? And he said, I do this because Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me, and he sent me here to love you. And he said, that's why they themselves started the church. They pastor it themselves. He said, I, I, I attend church there. I preach sometimes, but they started this church themselves. And then I heard the story of his wife. The only way they could get in and out of this village is that they carved a grass runway into the side of the mountain. It was, this grass runway was up and down. It was the most terrifying place I've ever flown into in my entire life. And the, the missionary's wife had uh, scars all over her body. And so I asked what happened and he said, one day when my wife had been out getting supplies, she was flying back in with the pilot and two other people back into the village. And when the plane got low enough where it really needed to land, uh, a cow walked out into the middle of the runway. The plane lifted back up and couldn't make it and hit a tree and then crashed. Every single person on the plane died except for my wife. And he said, we took her back to America and she had skin grass over 80% of her body. 80% of her body to this day is covered in scars. He himself has been through countless things. He wears scars all over his body. And Jesus brought me back to that story. And then I had the, the connection back to Thomas. If I could just see the scars, then I would believe. And I realized that Jesus said, now I want you to pick up your cross. I want you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The hands and feet are where the scars are located. The way that we love people is that we sacrifice. And when they see your scars, they will know that Jesus loves them. Whatever it is that we have to do for people, whatever the sacrifice is, no matter how small, no matter how large, when we show them our scars, they will believe. You see, our works are for our witness. And if we want to show people how much we love, we must sacrifice. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.